coming to you from the Dietitians and Nutrition Support Dietetic Practice Group. This is the DNS Member Podcast, where we explore topics relevant to our field. From support line content to nutrition celebrity interviews and everything in between, this podcast is where DNS members can go behind the scenes and explore the driving forces behind cutting-edge nutrition support. I'm your host, Christina Rollins. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for listening to the DNS podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of chatting with a real nutrition support power couple, Dr. Chet Morrison and his lovely wife, registered dietitian nutritionist, Maya Morrison. Dr. Chet Morrison is an associate professor of surgery at the Central Michigan University School of Medicine and is trauma medical director for St. Mary's Ascension Hospital in Saginaw, Michigan. He is board certified in surgery and critical care and has been an attending trauma surgeon for 20 years. He received his Bachelor of Arts degree from Cornell University, double majoring in chemistry and biology. He then received his MD from George Washington University in 1991 and his surgical training with the Army at the William Beaumont Army Medical Center. Following two years as a staff surgeon in the Republic of Korea, he completed fellowship training with the University of Maryland Shock Trauma Center. He has held academic appointments at Michigan State University and University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. Dr. Morrison is an Iraq War veteran and has been deployed to Honduras and Colombia and has received several military decorations, including a Bronze Star and the Expert Field Medic Badge. His primary interests lie in medical education, sepsis, and nutritional care of the trauma patient. He has authored multiple trauma papers as well as serving as an institutional PI in the multi-center trial on Zygris and septic shock. He is also involved in leadership roles in several regional and national professional organizations, including the American Society for Perennial and Enteral Nutrition. He lives with his wife, daughter, and stepdaughter in Saginaw, Michigan, and is active in several community organizations. Maya Morrison is a registered dietitian currently working as a nutritional professional in industry. She has been involved with nutrition support for over 20 years and has had the opportunity to work in different clinical settings, both with adult and pediatric populations. She graduated with a master's degree in human nutrition from the University of New Haven, West Haven, Connecticut, while working as a clinical dietitian at the Yale New Haven Hospital. She spent the first 16 years of her career in various clinical roles, primarily focusing on nutrition support and subsequently moving over to a role in industry in 2005. During the course of her career, she has focused on engaging with different professional organizations in an effort to keep abreast of current clinical practice and build a strong network of nutrition professionals. Her shared interest for nutrition support with her spouse, Dr. Morrison, has facilitated some nutrition-related projects, such as their most recent publication together entitled, For You Were Hungry and I Gave You Food the prevalence and treatment of malnutrition in patients with acute hip fracture, published in Nutrition and Clinical Practice in 2021. Dr. Morrison, Maya, thank you so much for joining us today on the DNS podcast. Well, thank you. It's uh, certainly our pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be here too, Christina. What was the first project you worked on together professionally? 
I would say that our most recent paper was our first official project that we worked together. Uh, but we have worked on several nutrition projects that were either um, uh, several nutrition um, projects which didn't really get published. We we nutrition is part of our daily conversation at home. Yeah. So um, one of the things that uh, we did at our prior hospital is uh, do several QI initiatives. Um, you know, just in terms of providing um, better nutritional care to our patients uh, and helping out uh, in terms of um, standardizing our TPN process that I took her input on. And so the first project we worked on was actually the paper that we uh, wrote together that came out of uh, my work with uh, Aspen. So what sparked the idea for the 2021 paper on malnutrition in patients who were status post acute hip fracture? Okay, well, there are a couple of things that uh, sparked that idea. And again, this came out of my um, participation in Aspen, where I noticed that there was a gap between what the guidelines were saying for malnourished patients and the physical reality with how patients were actually being evaluated, and even more so how they were actually being treated. In other words, if they're identified at nutritional risk, then what was the intervention? And then there was a, a paper that came out recently that suggested that not only were the outcomes better um, if there was an actual targeted nutritional intervention, and they used propensity matching, so you could you know argue the um, how how meaningful and uh, you know how rigorous the results were. But what was very very clear that was an objective data point is that there was not a high percentage of patients who were identified as malnourished being offered the intervention. So that sparked our um, interest in this, particularly because the other chain of this in terms of the idea was that I was actually working on um, my hospital. We admit a lot of geriatric patients and a lot of patients who have fallen and have had hip fractures. And I was actually working on a clinical pathway that uh, allowed us to, again, standardize their care, make sure that they were all getting the appropriate care and also reducing the fragmentation of care that was there before I arrived. So when you took those two together, it seemed like a natural thing for us to um, write a paper on malnutrition in these patients with hip fractures. And who better to collaborate on than, you know, my partner and a registered dietitian that I actually thought would be meaningful. So that's how that came about. So Christina, uh, needless to say, he volunteered me to write the mm -hmm. paper with him. <laughs> which I graciously accepted. And I we did have fun working on the project together. Well, I think that a little bit different dynamic here, but I think a lot of us can relate to, you know, having a, a close friend or a peer who's embarking on a project and they ask us to come along. And sometimes those are the best experiences when you can when you can work alongside someone that you have mutual interest and really enjoy the work. Certainly. Um, we talk about nutrition probably almost daily in some form or fashion. So many times dinner conversations are about nutrition support or nutrition therapy or something related to the patient and nutrition. So describe for us your process for writing the manuscript. Like what did that look like for you both? So given that this was our first project together and we have some very different styles, 
Uh, <laughs> I um had chat run the first thing I we probably do was do a lit search on the topic. And then what we did was we both actually went through all the articles that were a result of the lit search. And I pulled out the sections that address nutrition therapy and Chet really took on the medical therapy part more, yeah. I would say. Um, and then, then we drilled down to, you know, do the outline and, and start writing the manuscript. Yeah. So what we do is we do an outline and then we just took each sections, one that were a little bit more to our, our specialty. And then after we each write our sections, we then combine them. We look at each other's sections. We go through this. Um, we do some of the just spade work in terms of editorial correction, typos, and also the um, <clears throat> referencing and make sure that each one looks at the other's references and make sure that they're accurate. And then uh, I'll do the tables, but I'll take the input on her doing the tables. Yeah. And uh, the one piece I would say that I got a little frustrated with was uh, Chet had his own way of referencing or keeping his references in order. And I was very much used to using EndNote. So it was a bit of a challenge when we had to revise the manuscript as we were working on it. But eventually it it all worked out and uh, there were points of frustration, but we managed through it. Yeah, I mean, it's a collaborative. And when you're doing collaborative manuscripts, and this is something I hope that people who are listening to this can get out of this. It's good to have specific tasks assigned to everybody and then a frequent feedback. We all just look over what we've done and then make suggestions. And then you go through it and then you do it again. And you don't overwhelm people in the beginning, but just give them something smaller and just say, okay, look at that. And smaller, more frequent deadlines sometimes work for people, especially if they're being pulled in different directions and have busy, you know, scheduled over them this hey, let's just, you just write half of it and I'll just write half of it and we'll just come together after three weeks. It's actually better that like you look at the literature first and then you do your outline and then you do each section and then you read each section and then you kind of go from there. And that's also the way I kind of think that book chapters also get handled between collaborators. And then there's a final run through. And then, you know, while you're doing that, you can make your corrections in real time. And also I've found that when you're doing this way, and it's really good to be talking this over with people, because for me anyway, that sparks creative ideas. And you can actually say, oh, let's mention this and let's you know do that. And uh, that way, you know, this creative process is a little more enhanced than if you're just sitting there by yourself looking at a computer. Yeah. So we had a, a lot of discussion about how we wanted the manuscript to look like. Um, and there were areas that we knew that needed to get improved uh, even before our first submission. So it was really a live document that we shared um, and we talked about it. And the nice thing about having him at home was that, you know, we were, it was easier to meet timelines. I think sometimes that's the challenge when you have multiple authors, you have to get all the input. And because I see him every day, it, it was a really a fun project, Christina. So when you were working through this project or really any of the projects or volunteer commitments that you all have, how do you find work-life balance when you're juggling all of this stuff with your full-time work, right? Because I know you're both very busy individuals and you're both working full-time jobs. Uh, yeah, that's that's right. We also have other 
commitments out there. And, uh, you know, you, I guess what I say is you try to find a balance. You try to plot your, your day out. You try to prioritize your time. But you also basically you set time aside for doing the things that are important to you. Okay, I'm going to do this here. I'm going to do this here. I'm going to do this here. And, uh, you know, revise your schedule as you need to. Um, but again, it's finding that balance, allotting a little bit of time to this, allotting some time to this, allotting some time to that, being a little bit flexible when life comes up with unexpected things, as life generally does, um, and just going forward to it. And then just saying, you know, and this sounds like a platitude, I don't know, but doing the best you can, recognizing that you have to make a balance. I think for, for this particular project, we were very good about reminding each other. Um, and I think Chet's schedule was a little busier than mine. Um, so I would really, I mean, I would do all the, you know, we worked on di different parts of the manuscript and I would, you know, try to work on all my pieces and then send it to him because I knew that he had more time constraints and then he would add on to that and, you know, build upon it so we it was really a project that we worked in tandem together I would say yeah um from a work-life balance I think part of it is when you commit to something you might have to give up something if you're a very busy person so for me it was you know what I have to buckle down and maybe not go and do an activity that I was planning that was more recreational <laughs> And and just to get it done. So really to be focused on the timelines you had and, you know, trying to keep to those timelines and using each other to keep ourselves to the timeline, if that makes sense. So tell us about a time when you disagreed on a professional issue. Like, how did you manage that conflict? <laughs> uh, yeah. Besides, um, you know, how we should be nutritionizing our daughter. Well, you know, I, I think that I, I think the thing is that we bring somewhat different perspectives into um, our lines of work. See, because I come from the tra adult trauma critical care background, and one of the things that I was initially very much doing was fully, you know, providing full nutrition to everybody from the moment go, and if they're really hurt, they needed more, and all this. And Maya comes from the pediatrics background, where she actually deals. She's dealt with some critical illness, cancer patients and so forth, but she actually saw a lot of people in her clinic, outpatient folks that you had to sort of work on a little bit and be more patient. And so actually it's sort of resolving a tension between my, you know, immediate, I've got to get everything caloric needs and get as many calories that I can to everybody all at once. And her view that, you know, you have to sort of work with patients and sort of get along and, you know, kind of think of things a little bit more long-term. Yeah, I would say that's sometimes probably the discussion we have that we have differences of opinion on. Uh, in the pediatric setting, you do the best you can. And then in the adult setting, I've done some adult ICU work, but in the adult setting, in the acute care setting, you're like, we got to get that patient out. But then it's also, for me, I look at the long-term outcomes that we expect through nutrition support. Well, you both are very ingrained in the healthcare nutrition support community, and you bring a lot of great experience to the table. So how has the healthcare industry kind of in general changed since each of you started practicing? 
So going back many, many years, <laughs> um, I think the one change I see is the constraints that our healthcare system has from a cost perspective. Um, certainly from what the healthcare system has undergone uh, through the pandemic, um, where I see there is probably a little bit of focus among many organizations is the fact that access to healthcare is an issue. Healthcare disparity right now is a huge issue and you know, creating awareness around healthcare disparity is certainly uh, there, out there. You see it in conferences, uh, um, hospitals are doing education on it. So what I, I see is we, we all know what the issues are. It's how do we get those better? And I think right now, really, I see the healthcare industry struggling a little bit, to be honest, but I'm hoping that in the future, everyone will have good access to healthcare. The healthcare disparity issue will, you know, be minimized. Um, but to do that, we, we really do have to, as healthcare professionals, be able to educate folks around it and be, you know, make them aware that this is an issue, if that makes sense. Yeah, and looking at this question, you always have to say, what's the good and the bad? Um, yeah, there is a bit of a crisis going on in healthcare industry right now. We have decreased staffing. Um, budgets are tight and hospitals, to some extent, um, are looking to reduce services. And yet we are expected to still provide the same quality of care. So that's a bit of a struggle. On a positive note, I would say that um, one is I think nutritional support services have gotten more in people's awareness. And two is that the evidence behind them has actually gotten better. And so one of the nice things about the healthcare industry is at least it's a lot more evidence focused and evidence based. And uh, I think that translates into better outcomes. Where do you see the field of nutrition support going in the future? I think uh, it's going to be more individualized with targeted nutrition therapy. Um, not one site, one type of nutrition support or uh, fits all. I think everyone is different. So the more individualized nutrition therapy is, the better for the patient. And that requires an interdisciplinary team. Yeah. Um, to your previous question, I think so the, this is related. The point I'm going to make is that I think healthcare professionals, you know, working together as an interdisciplinary team is what will move nutrition support for, forward as we all bring different strengths to the table and focus on the patient. So in a way, the manuscript that we wrote was sort of an interdisciplinary. We had a physician and the dietitian work together on the manuscript to say what the hip fracture patients need. Um, so I, that's where I see it going. I see targeted therapy and people working even more collaboratively. Um, yeah, we're going to have to since many hospitals have actually diminished the support for formal nutritional support teams. But the patients certainly, um, you know, haven't gotten less. And so the future, yeah, I see is more multidisciplinary involvement. Um, and again, just sort of building on my previous answer, uh, I think it's going to be more evidence-based. 
And the other issue I think with nutritional support is that we're going to be looking more just at outcomes, not only within the hospital, but longer term outcomes after people mm-hmm. leave the hospital. And I'm thinking now about the current uh, efforts in the critical care community to addressing post-ICU syndrome, to how patients are doing after they leave the ICU, the fact that our interventions in the intensive care unit have implications that go beyond when patients actually leave the hospital. And uh, I actually think the nutritional field has actually something to contribute to that discussion. So that's another hopeful direction to take. And Christina, you know, from the from the time I started practice, we are always aware um, that malnutrition exists. But I think in recent years, it's not just creating the awareness around the fact that a patient is malnourished or can get malnourished even when they're in the hospital. But I start I've started seeing that we have more therapies available that says, okay, so now what are we going to do about it? Because at the end of the day, you know, the malnutrition exists, but we as healthcare pro- professionals have to do some, some, have to do better. How do we address it? How do we get the patient out the door and not come back, you know, get readmitted? And what are the therapies available to help support them? What's your approach for really staying abreast with the latest and greatest research and practice guidelines to ensure that you're practicing, you know, with that evidence-based care in mind? For me, I am probably linked to every social media platform. So I I have, you know, I follow the Aspen Facebook page. I follow the DNS page because I do feel that social media is a great way to instantly know what's new what new guidelines have been published, what new article, you know, that may be relevant to me is out there. So I definitely say I'm very linked in mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, to the platforms. And I find even, you know, when I'm working out on the treadmill, I will listen to one of your DNS podcasts. Um, so, so to me, that's a great way for me, but Chet might have a yeah. Different way. <laughs> yeah. As an older, somewhat perhaps more traditionalist, um, you know, I do read the journals that come out every month. You know, um, the latest nutrition guidelines, for example, that came out in JPEN. Well, I get JPEN and I read it every month. The nutritional, the NCP journal that I also do. Um, and, you know, I also, yeah, I kind of follow social media too and LinkedIn. We do go to professional meetings periodically. That's a good way. Um and uh, you know the other <clears throat> the other thing that uh, that that you do is just in conversations and uh, you know networking with people things come up so you just pay attention to them and that way you can think that you stay reasonably current with things and also keep your mind um, a little bit open. Yeah, and and Christina, the other thing I do do is when a pay, um, I have RSS alerts uh, set up on my uh, work email. So if a new article that is uh, of interest to me pops up, it'll come through my RSS feed. So for those of you who have the ability to do that, that's a great way of um, you know being yeah. alerted when a paper that you might be interested in is published. Yeah, that's a great idea, and I I think all of those avenues are really beneficial. You know, Chet, I'm I'm along lines with you. I really like getting the journals in the mail. It's almost like exciting that you get to hold paper right and flip through them. Social media is great, yep. but you can't hold it. Yep. <laughs> it's nice. It's nice just to no, read you something. <laughs> you know, 
the journals go with you everywhere. You can take them on the beach. You can drop them and get them wet and they still work. And, so that's, and uh, I would say that, you know, because the two of us talk about nutrition so much that when, when I see something that might be relevant to the ICU, I will let him know that's, you know, I'll ask him if something is, if he's aware of it. So we do kind of alert each other to some, in, to some extent. Yeah. Well, we've just got a few minutes left in the recording. Um, so I wanted to ask, what advice would each of you give our listeners who are working to build a name for themselves in the nutrition support industry? That would come, um, I would distill that almost, almost to two words, which is get involved. In other words, there are a lot of opportunities for involvement in um, committees and professional organizations at the regional, state, and national level. So for example, one in one's hospital, get involved in the nutritional support uh, committee, and they generally have them. Um, Aspen, and I, you know, I suppose it's a conflict of interest. I suppose that I'm an Aspen member and I'm a member of the Physicians Engagement Committee. So I'll just say that right there. But as a member of the Physicians Engagement Committee, we're actually looking for people, for physicians to get involved. And once they get involved, then by definition, they're linked in with some leaders in the field who can actually do things. Okay. And then the other thing is, and then that we have cross discipline that also goes into other professional organizations you know, as well. Yeah. So I would say the same thing, Christina, is to network, to get involved, whether it's locally, regionally, or nationally, because that, especially for a new practitioner, that is the way you build your network. And as a nutrition professional, I have made so many um, friends and I've met so many colleagues and it's been great for my career. Yeah, I think that's important for us all to keep in mind that volunteering may not pay cash, but it pays off in so many other ways. And it's really invaluable as, as we're working to build and advance our careers and the profession. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's why we do it. So the one of the one of the other things I was going to mention, too, is that we also review uh, papers for nutritional publications yeah, you know, we volunteer our time and expertise, but that's actually also a very good way of doing this because that keeps us a, that keeps us abreast in the field, you know, and also in terms of your previous question. But that also um, that also gets us involved. That trains us, so we're happy to do that as well. Plus, it's fun, right? Because you get a sneak peek and you get to read something that's not on the market yet. Oh yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh yeah, yeah. And and as a new professional, for sure to just be very active with, even if you want to start small and be active with with a local organization and then move on because it, it really truly is rewarding. With that, we will go ahead and conclude today's podcast. Again, thank you both for taking time out of your schedules to chat with us today. Thank you for uh, giving us the opportunity to do this. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, Christina, for the opportunity and the and you know to DNS for for the opportunity as well. And listeners to network with amazing nutrition support clinicians like Dr. Morrison and Maya, or to look for your next volunteer opportunity, please visit our website at dnsdpg.org. Until next time, I'm Christina Rollins. Thanks for listening.